Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this one. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. My guest on this episode of Explore the Space is Dr. Yule Edgness. Dr. Edgness is an internal medicine physician, and he is also the chair of the board of directors of the American Board of Internal Medicine, also known as the ABIM. The ABIM recently published an article in the New England Journal of Medicine describing how the board plans to deal with misinformation spread by physicians. It came out a couple of weeks ago. There's links in the show notes. It's a good article. It's an important topic, obviously, and it's a remains a very charged subject. So having Dr. Edgeness on to discuss the article itself, the position of the ABIM, and how this is going to be dealt with, as well as the question that a lot of people have been asking is, Kind of why has this all taken so long? And then also, where do we go from here? It was fantastic to get to kind of lay those issues out, get some good answers, and lay a framework for how we're going to continue to deal with this. Misinformation did not just surface during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been around for a long time. It is, as described in the article, a danger. And knowing that there are large institutions and organizations that are backing up individual physicians and healthcare professionals who are attempting to tackle misinformation is a good thing for sure. A quick reminder, please do check out the entire archive of Explore the Space podcast, www.explorethespaceshow, and find me on social media at ETS Show on Twitter, at Explore the Space Show on Instagram. And of course, you can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. So all that said, let's get started with the conversation with Dr. Ewell Edgeness. Ewell, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to Explore the Space. Well, thanks for having me on, Mark. It's it's good timing. We're going to discuss the recent article in the New England Journal of Medicine, Physicians Spreading Misinformation on Social Media, Do Right and Wrong Answers Still Exist in Medicine? It's, it's a title that, man, you knew what you were getting into when you started reading this. In the period of time before this article dropped, it's been a couple of weeks, there's been enough time for people to have read it or read around it. What was the sensation like knowing that you were putting this statement out there, taking this position around physicians who actively spread disinformation? Well, it was a combination of uh, excitement and fear. Yeah. Excited because I, I think this is a topic that ne- needs more airing from the professional side. I mean, the uh, misinformers are getting all, all of the bandwidth here, and uh, it was time for the uh, institutions that make up our, our profession to uh, speak out. And it's been happening in, in little dribs and drabs, and I think we'll be seeing more of it. But uh, this is really uh, what I thought a uh, very powerful statement that also a address the the defense against taking any action saying, well, you know, there are no right or wrong answers. I mean, uh, obviously uh, there are. I mean, uh, if someone's 
running around saying that uh, cigarette smoking is good for you. I mean, that's wrong. Someone is saying that uh, more people died from the COVID-19 vaccine than from COVID-19. You know, that's wrong. And we're not talking about uh, the put people on Paxlovid for 10 days instead of five because of, you know, possibility of rebound or, you know, aspirin low dose, yes or no. I mean, those are debatables, but, uh, you know, there are things that are clearly uh, wrong or clearly right. So I was excited about the fact that we were going to articulate this. uh, I think Rich Barron, uh, who was the, the lead author on it, did a great job of setting it out. And fear because, you know, this is a hot topic and a lot of the people on the other side of the issue are very hot and very organized and very vocal. And uh, I mean, I, I've kind of gotten a taste of that with other issues relating to ABIM, you know, a lot of the uh, uproar regarding the exam and some of the uh, practice improvement requirements. And uh, people can get pretty nasty and we're still, uh, you know, gearing up for that uh, as, as, as this thing continues to evolve. But you know, it's the right thing to do. And I'm happy to be on the right side of this one. A lot to unpack in there. As I was listening, I was thinking, okay, got to keep track of this line. Got to keep track of this. What you said at the end, though, this is, this is a, a strategic and a tactical point that is so important for us to internalize. And look, it's how we're trained and it's how we're taught. This is the right thing to do. It's going to be challenging. It's going to have pushback, blowback, whatever, whatever modifier you choose to use but this was the right thing to do, and it was the right thing for an organization to do. What I have experienced, quite honestly, is myself and my colleagues, as we're on social media and at our local institutions and in our own community work, we have felt pretty lonely. And even when there's lots of us saying, this this is disinformation, this is wrong, what, you shouldn't be saying things like the COVID vaccine has taken more lives than COVID-19 itself. I, I think I, I'm on solid ground saying that most of us haven't felt like we've been backed up by the organizations that we would have thought would have backed us up. And my biggest emotion reading this was, this is an organization that I am a member of, in good standing with, uh, and they are backing me in the way that I would have expected. Has there been some of that feedback or is hearing me articulate that to you? novel. Oh, no, we've heard a lot about it. I mean, I guess uh, to to put it into a soundbite, it's a a lot of, well, it's about time or what took you so long. And uh, and there was some of that when, uh, you know, the FSMB, the Federation of State Medical Boards, had a statement in the spring and then the three primary care boards, uh, you know, internal medicine, family medicine and pediatrics issued a statement. And and even with those brief statements, there, there was a lot of feedback that was, yeah, it's about time, not just from the our colleagues, uh, but from the members of the public, because uh, all this stuff is yeah. going on. Oh, and yeah. Individuals are putting themselves out uh, to, to call it out as, as wrong, as misinformation. At times, you know, taking some hits in response. Uh, I mean, there was that perspective of a few weeks back that Vinnie Aurora and her colleagues wrote about uh, the repercussions of, of going out on social media and, and calling out misinformation. So, so yeah, there, there was a lot of that. I, I mean, I, I think, uh, and I and I also shared the, the sense that the profession at large, the institutions, weren't really out there, and and, and I get some of the rationale for that. I my, in my previous life, I was the uh, president of the Rhode Island Medical Society. I was chair of the board of ACP's board of regents, and I'm on the AMA House. So, you know, the issue of uh, physician autonomy is certainly something that's very important to me. But 
you know, there, there's limits to that. And the limit to that is when you say things or do things that uh, put patients or the public in harm's way. And, and, and this is one of those things. Uh, you know, the, the other issue is a lot of the docs, uh, our diplomates, uh, our colleagues uh, are dealing with this every day in their exam room. I, I do as well. I mean, four days a week, I spend all day seeing patients in my office and not an hour goes by where I'm not either uh, correcting misinformation or patients you know, ask me, look, I'm hearing all sorts of things, some of them, you know, opposites of each other, you know, can you set me straight? And uh, I, I think we need to show the physician community as organizations that we have their backs on this. In that same space of what took so long, I, I think of it a little bit differently, and I want to kind of get to that, but misinformation is not new. It didn't start with COVID. You don't need me to tell you that, right? This has been going on for a while. And as has been covered on Explore the Space before, un there was an unfortunate overlap of physicians being told, and this is what I heard in my training, social media is not where you should be for a variety of reasons, but physicians should not be active on social media. Into that vacuum in the early part of the 21st century, right? Nature abhors a vacuum, so it was filled. And the public was exposed to misinformation on a wide variety of fronts. So what, I guess, then was the tipping point that made the ABIM say, look, misinformation is not new. Something is different. What, what happened where in the room there was the decision made that we're going to now take this stance, be this transparent around it, and enforce it? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, this existed a long time ago. I remember when I started practice over 30 years ago, you know, people were going off to a, a clinic somewhere down south, you know, to get treated for their systemic candidiasis that was causing all sorts of, you know, craziness and chelation therapy and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, like things. I, I think it was the, the toll of misinformation uh, relating to COVID and you, know, you hear estimates of uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives uh, lost that could have been saved had people not been misinformed. And the toll it was taking uh, on top of many other uh, forces uh, on our docks, burnout uh, didn't start with COVID. But when you have to throw in dealing with misinformation, erosion of trust, and trust has been a, a, a theme that the ABIM and the ABIM Foundation have been focusing on. You know, you're, you're being told something by your physician, and then you go out to social media, to, to uh, you know, cable news, and you're hearing something different. And unless you, are, you already have a very strong relationship with your physician, you know, you're, you're competing with something that uh, is, is totally non-scientific uh, and, uh, and, and very harmful. I mean, I, I had a a few weeks ago, I had an incident where I had a patient come in who, who I've been caring for for probably about 30 years, and I had to spend several minutes uh, with them uh, convincing them that Anthony Fauci was a physician. Yeah. His, his name came up, uh, and the co and comment was, oh, he's not even a doctor. And, and I went, yeah, there. and I looked it up, and, you know, graduated top of his class, and I said, yeah. you know, not only that, but he's board certified by the board that I chair. And, uh, right. and, 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 and the patient was embarrassed and was going to get back to the person who told him that, uh, you know, he was not a doctor. But even so, I, I, I left the conversation wondering, well, did I convince them or are they going to be 
pulled back in the other direction. And, 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 you know, I have a pretty thick skin and, you know, I, I've, I've had long-term relationships with patients, but if you're somebody who's, who's struggling and uh, overwhelmed and to have to deal with this stuff. Uh, so, so yeah, we, we thought it was, it was time for, for, for all those uh, reasons. And, uh, and I think the cry that you had alluded to earlier of, uh, you know, do something, you know, the profession uh, as institutions has been pretty quiet here. The, the, and silence has its own volume, right? Especially yeah. on an issue like this, that when you're not saying anything and you're in a space where you're expected to, and, uh, you know, I'm an ABIM diplomat. I've passed the exam twice. I, you know, do all the things I'm supposed to do. But I also know what the ABIM is and stands for. That is part of my expectation. But in that space, I think it's important for us to help everybody, physicians included, understand the difference between the American Board of Internal Medicine and our boards across all of them and the professional societies, because people cry out to the professional societies to do this work as well. I am not one of those people. I don't expect them to. They oftentimes don't speak for me. That's not my understanding of their role. Um, And so but the but the problem is is people then have an expectation that will never be met because the professional societies are unlikely to be able to take a stand like this and even if they did what can they do to enforce it when the ABIM does it not only does it lay an infrastructure but it sets a precedent can you help to make that distinction between a certifying board and a professional society yeah, I think, I mean, in this situation, I think they actually all have roles, but for different reasons, and they face different challenges in, in fulfilling those roles. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the certifying boards uh, are, are the entities that, uh, you know, certify that one is qualified to call themselves whatever specialty they, they certify in. And it's not just about passing a test. It's also about, you know, meeting, uh, having professional qualifications, including, uh, you know, moral and ethical standing. I mean, the, uh, the surrogate for, for years historically has been being licensed, but it's more than that. You know, we, we've uh, disciplined physicians for cheating, for example, and for other offenses that go beyond whether you have your license suspended or not but it's you know the 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 patient community the other uh, stakeholders in healthcare look to the credential and trust that when we say someone is board certified that means x y and z you know that obviously they're keeping up they've proven that uh, they have a mastery of of the knowledge base but also that they're uh, professional and ethical physicians and and this is not contingent on on pay, paying dues uh, you know we don't provide any services other than the certificate that we uh, that we offer, um, which is somewhat different from, you know, the membership organization, which is a membership organization. And uh, I think that's uh, the key distinction. Yeah. yeah. For me as a physician out in the, you know, hinterlands, just one of the many, that is the distinction. Yeah. I don't get anything from the ABIM. I don't get, I don't get spam. I don't get requests for anything. I don't pay into it. I am a diplomat of it. And that is for me, the critical thing. And I guess As we talked about at the beginning, my sense of satisfaction in seeing what was written in our major American medical journal, that's why it was so sticky. Usually statements don't do much for me um, from a professional society. They're perfunctory. This really did feel different because I also, I know if I got a letter from the ABIM, that's a letter that will stop me in my tracks, Um, especially if I don't expect it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the, the the professional societies, I mean, they they do have a stake in in uh, promoting professionalism, and uh, you know, uh, the one I'm most familiar with is obviously the one I chaired years ago, uh, the ACP, and uh, you know, they, they typically put patients first, and and usually meeting the interests of patients meet the interests of members, so it's a nice harmonization, uh, and they they do have uh, things that they can do. I mean, uh, organizations in general, not just ACP, yeah. uh, offer fellowships and masterships and all these honorifics, which can be uh, taken away. One can be expelled from membership. I mean, there are criteria to be a member and uh, certainly uh, professional and ethical uh, qualifications are part of it. Uh, so they have, a, they have a role to, pay, to play, but the, 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 the pressures, the, uh, the navigation of that might be a bit more challenging. You know, th- thinking yeah. about your earlier point about why it took so long, uh, there was, uh, it was referred to as the uh, Ronald Reagan's election uh, commandment, uh, which was uh, thou shalt not speak uh, ill of another Republican. And I think as a profession, you know, we're, we, we, we fall into that sometimes, you know, we, we don't want to speak out and say something against another physician, you know, maybe in the context of scientific debate, we might. But, you know, if a patient uh, wants to tell you something about what happened when they went to see a, a subspecialist, often they'll preface it with, I, I got to tell you this. I know you're not going to tell me anything because you guys uh, stand up for one another. And, 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 and that kind of perception and, and, and mindset is, is something that, you know, hopefully we're starting to dispel with with these activities, and you know, depending on on how you uh, exist financially and what your goals are and what you're offering, you know, to your point earlier, you know, the different types of organizations have things that uh, they can do and then things that they cannot do. But I think together, and, and I think this is where we really need to. To, to move is to get all of the organizations, whether it's the license, licensing boards, the certifying boards, the professional societies, to do their part. You know, even if they may have different uh, challenges in, in in doing it, or support one another. You know, in the areas where they can't do certain things. So this essay, getting back to it, because you you spoke about sort of the the how we kind of rally behind one another, and and this article does separate from that because it talks about channels where there can be discipline and accountability, right? May 18th of 2022 in the New England Journal of Medicine. It's the second to last paragraph that uh, there are two words in it that stuck out for me. The modifier of what medical misinformation is danger. That word choice really struck me. And and I I appreciated it. It's, it's one that there's no gray area. It's, it's stipulating that medical misinformation is a danger to the public health. And I appreciated that for sure. The pronoun choice in that paragraph, we, as the ABIM confronts the danger of medical misinformation, we recognize that there are, med- that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I- I'm curious as to the we, and I know that there has also been pushback around, is there going to be some, you know, star chamber that sort of makes all of these decisions behind closed doors and there'll be a lack of transparency? How does it, how will this process work? Who makes up the, the we? And how will these things be adjudicated when they're brought to the attention of the board? Yeah, so so the we was 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 not 
referring to the two authors uh, the we uh, was referring no i didn't to, take it that way to, to, yeah. yeah to the to, to, to the board and, and one could say we you know those members of the profession who feel likewise and want to see something done about it um yeah. and and yeah i mean some a lot of the pushback uh, has has you know used orwellian terms you know ministry of yes. truth seems to be very popular uh to which i say you know we're not the ones de- determining the truth we're accepting the truth that's determined by the community uh, i mean uh, you know we're we're, we're not not the ones who uh, decided as ABIM that uh, the uh, vaccine's a lot safer than getting COVID, for example, or that uh, children can spread uh, COVID. Uh, we're, we're, we're accepting what uh, the science has determined to be fact. You know, in terms of the, the process, uh, you know, we're not scanning the the social media space looking for misinformation uh we don't have those kinds of resources uh if you think your board uh, fees are high already uh it would be much higher if we were doing that but um you know we do get uh um reports from members of the community, uh, physicians and others uh, about uh, our diplomates who are uh, spreading uh, false uh, and inaccurate information. And we do have a process that's actually outlined uh, at the website, and I'm not going to bore you with, but it involves the physician's on staff at ABIM as the first line of taking in the reports and then doing a thorough investigation. And uh, once they reach a conclusion that there's something here that needs to be explored further, then uh, a letter will go to the diplomat saying, you know, it's come to our attention and, you know, here's uh, what we've been told. You have an opportunity to tell us your side of the story and you get 45 days to provide whatever information you want to provide, after which then uh, the the committee uh, takes a look at all of that and makes a recommendation. Um, and then at that time, uh, the diplomat has an opportunity to appeal, appeal to a panel made up of folks who are not staff physicians. Uh, they're physicians from governance, one of whom is a member of the board of directors, and they can come in person. They can do it by phone. They can bring counsel. Uh, I've sat on these uh, appeals panels. Uh, one diplomat uh, brought their rabbi with them as a character witness. Uh, and, and just to, to hear out you know, what, what the diplomat has to say and then determine if the uh, panel's uh, recommendation uh, to, to take action on the diplomat certificate uh, will be upheld or modified. I would add for, for, for misinformation, we took an extra step, which is we convened uh, a small group of physicians who are in governance, so they're not uh, ABIM staff, uh, with expertise in ID and critical care to look at the misinformation to uh, tell uh, the uh, the committee whether or not this uh, meets uh, the definition of misinformation. And I have to tell you, the bar is very high. In fact, you know, in terms of fear, you know, one of the other fears that, that I have is that people are going to say, well, you know, why did you not go after this one, but you went after that one, or why so few? And, you know, the other the other fear is because this is a confidential process, and it has to be because, you know, any one of us can have our cells reported and you know, we'll have to go through the process. And if it turns out to be nothing, you don't want it aired out. Uh, um, Certainly the uh, decisions of the board would be evident if one went to the website and checked 
board certification status and someone who was certified no longer is. But, you know, this is not intended to be a, a public spectacle. It's intended to you basically discipline our diplomates who are not uh, fulfilling the ideals of being a board certified physician. So I don't know. That was a that was a, an attempt to shorten a long thing that ended up being long no, it's, itself. It's, but it's it's extraordinarily complicated. But I think that the key pieces are are clear. I wonder, though, is there a sense of responsibility from the ABIM to, in turn, make sure that physicians are properly educated in terms of being proactive with what is the right way to comport yourself on social media? What are the where are the obvious pitfalls? What is the low hanging fruit to make sure that as more physicians are mobilizing to be advocates on a variety of issues and being advocates in their at you know at their home institution with their medical group on social media with increasingly larger and larger platforms is there a sense of ownership of look let's also make sure that this these myriads that we want to mobilize that we want to fill this space with good high quality trustworthy information from people with enthusiasm and media training to to make sure they're properly trained up to be as effective as possible, but also to avoid obvious pitfalls. Yeah, and and that's where the partnership with other organizations comes into play. Because you know, ABIM yeah, is not yeah. you know we're, we're not an advocacy organization. Uh, we're a certifying right. organization, but you know obviously we have a great stake in the well being of our diplomates. Uh, but other organizations. Uh, do just that. So the American College of Physicians, I know some years ago, uh, its ethics committee printed a, uh, a paper on social media. The Federation of State Medical Boards has a document as well with uh, guidance on how to, you know, do it, do it right and ethically. There, there have been, you know, we've talked about the carrot and stick approach and, you know, sticks being you know, what we were talking about uh, in the perspective, but carrots in terms of trying to uh, encourage folks to provide correct and, and accurate information and, and try to find ways of getting them promoted in the social media uh, platforms just as much as you know all the misinformation is. I know ACP has uh, actually created some content and uh, at the board, we're in the process of trying to come up with a way where our, our diplomates who want to provide content can attest to promising to meet certain standards and then having that kind of badge uh, designate uh, someone uh, as being trustworthy. Uh, so, so yeah, each organization um, ha- has uh, assets that they can bring to this uh, as part of that, because it's not a matter of yeah. just uh, going after people uh, about whom we get a complaint, but uh, trying trying to up everyone's game so that we're getting That's good right. information right. out and developing the trust that we're trying to build with our patients. When I recertified, I did the focus practice in hospital medicine. So I have that on my my renewal diploma. And I wonder, will we have a time where as people are doing their recertification things, are they going to find modules and board exam questions related to use of social media, related to what is misinformation, these sorts of things? Will it become part of the expectation of practice when someone is looking to certify or recertify as a diplomat of the ABIM? That's an interesting question. I I can't say it's come up, but you know, we, we've had similar discussions uh, relating to uh, health equity in terms of content in, in the exam. Yeah. And certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's it's not just all about uh, picking the right antibiotic uh, or, or, you know, whether you anticoagulate an AFib or not. 
Yeah, that that that's actually uh, interesting uh, to to ponder because it does it does. I mean, we certainly do cover medical ethics in the blueprint, you know, for the uh, certifying and recertifying yeah. exam. So this would seem uh, to have a home in, in in that section of the blueprint. It also just sort of gives that sense, just as the same way that the article gave. Right, I'm an N of one, but it gave me that feeling of right. All right, this organization that I am a member of understands what's going on and is doing the right things. There's that sense of meeting people where they are, and I think if this is sort of inculcated into the way the board does its business, but also the strategic vision, again, it meets people where they are. As we're encouraging and more and more physicians look, physicians are on social media. They're they're on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. It's whether they're using it in their professional milieu or not, the more we're able to do that, the more that vacuum is filled. And I think for the ABA, and that's an interesting opportunity to try to buttress the work, I guess would be one way to think about it. Oh yeah, I agree. That's my take on it. I don't know. I got you here and I was like, I wonder if I'll see that on my next exam. Yeah, well, uh, I stay tuned. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I take my next exam in a couple of years, so I'll be sure to I won't live tweet the exam, obviously, but when I'll, I'll text you when I'm done and say, oh, I did. I saw one. That was cool. Do you feel like the ABIM stands alone in having done this, though? The article mentions a couple of other entities, but how much do you feel like the ABIM was really putting itself out there as we're planting our flag, we're doing this, we're leading the charge, or look, we're doing this as part of a much larger consortium? Yeah, so I would say alone, no, but being the first or one of the first to uh, touch upon this topic in such a a big way. Yes. Uh, I mean, and the reason I answered uh, alone no in the first one was tomorrow. As a matter of fact, I'm flying to Philly and we're actually going to have a a meeting that's been dubbed the House of Medicine meeting, which is going to include, uh, it's going to be hosted at ACP and we're going to have AMA is going to be there, FSMB, uh, some of the state uh, licensing board. So all, all the folks who you would want talking to one another and uh, coming up with ways to uh, combat misinformation are going to be there. So we might have been you know, one of the early organizations to uh, you know, tweet about this some months ago, and obviously the perspective, uh, the more recent work, but uh, you know, certainly not alone. Uh, we, we, we had our internal medicine summit uh, last week where ABIM hosts a meeting every year. Uh, it used to be to update folks on what was going on with, with the board, but uh, this year the topic was misinformation. And, and again, we had uh, you know, the Infectious Disease Society of America uh, presenting as well as ACP. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, um, collaboration going on and coordination. Again, understanding that each organization has guardrails on what it can do uh, you know, within its, its mission and, and model, but that uh, – I think uh, there's enough overlap and uh, enough uh, opportunities for us to work together where we can really make a dent in this and, and not just let the physicians know that we have their backs, but let our patients know that as well, because that's another group yeah. that's often asking, you know, why, why, why isn't anybody calling this out other than the, the few brave souls, you know, like Dr. Hotez and, you know, Dr. Fauci, who, uh, who get beat up when they do. So this House of Medicine meeting, as you describe it, is there a mechanism by which that will be publicly available information down the road? Is there ways that the public at large, physicians as well, will be able to kind of hear about the findings or understand kind of what comes next? Because for me, hearing that that's that's who's going to be in the tent, that's the right people that need to be in the tent to not just 
drive the work, but to get organized around it. Because when more and more, you know, of the acronyms, when more and more of the organizations are appended to it, that's not additive, right? That's exponential power. Yeah. It's It becomes larger and larger and larger. What So what comes of this? What happens? Are we building momentum? Are we working towards an end goal? Or are we coming together just to sort of see what happens? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the organizations have already done work in this area. I mean, you know, the president of the American Medical Association, uh, Dr. Harmon, has, has, has said some things publicly. You know, ACP has, you know, done some of the content development, uh, you know, to uh, uh, in, increase the amount of uh, good information out there. So I think it's uh, partly going to be to uh, to compare notes on what we're doing make sure we're all on the same page on the importance of doing something. And then from there, who knows? I mean, it's not, uh, there's no predetermined outcome, uh, you know, whether it ends up being uh, each organization taking a piece of, of the pie and, and, and running with it or some kind of joint uh, activity or joint statement. Uh, yeah, that's to be determined. But I think it's it's historic to get uh, all, all of these people in, in the same room and uh, again, representing, you know, all the, all the layers of the professional self-regulation apparatus, you know, the licensing board, the certifying board, the membership societies, uh, and, and talking about something that that's so important that it's actually bringing all these people uh, under the same roof. With the article, you have set the tone. And with what you've just described, you've given us a, a, a very, a very enticing teaser trailer. So how do we sort of follow this? How do people who, like myself, physicians and healthcare professionals in the United States and the public at large, how do you invite people to then follow this? How do we follow progress? How do we see impact at the ABIM's position and process as you laid out, kind of the impact it has? How do we kind of keep track of how we're doing around this? Yeah, so you know the the communication piece of what happens tomorrow and and the derivative work yet to be determined. I, I do think, yeah. I mean, you know, to to the point raised earlier that uh, you know the, the silence is is deafening. Uh, you know, before we started to even talk about this, I mean, th there will be something because we we want physicians to know that it's not just you know one organization or another, but the collective that's that's working on this. You know, in in terms of what follows, again, some of the activities are already underway. It's just a matter of, of, of coordinating them. You know, what we do at the board, that, that's a bit trickier, as I mentioned earlier. And, and it's the same, you know, frankly, for the state licensing boards, uh, though they have um, a, a public obligation in terms of reporting outcomes of their work. But, uh, you know, as a board, you know, we do it all in confidence for the protection of the diplomate. And unless the diplomate who's the subject of an investigation chooses to go public with it, no one's going to hear about it, you know, um, you know, whether one can create or provide aggregate data at some point. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about all of that internally, but we, we, we don't want the credibility and integrity of the process that we use to discipline physicians uh, to, to be uh, tarnished by, you know, our enthusiasm to you know, make a statement regarding misinformation. But, you know, it is going on uh, and I'm, you know, uh, uh, an arm's length away from that as well, which is appropriate as as uh, chair of the board, because uh, some of my directors might be involved in appeals. But, yeah, that's one of those where, you know, folks may feel a bit uh, let down where, you know, they, they read this perspective and then they want to know, OK, what happened? How many how many heads rolled? And the answer may be, I can't tell you. That's that's helpful, though, because I think that there is that sense of there is a lot of pent up frustration, as you well know, right, as a busy physician and also as someone who gets the emails from us saying, when the hell are you guys going to do something like, did you see this tweet? 
Do you see the traction that it gets? Do you see the stuff on YouTube? I think there is that sense of how do we kind of get closure around it? And it is helpful to get that viewpoint from you that we're going to probably need to look elsewhere. That this is not going to be a blood in the water type of thing. And it should not be, it shouldn't be. I'm not advocating for that. I just think that there is that sense of pent up frustration and people are like, okay, cool. Now there's going to be that sense of vindication perhaps, but this isn't what this is about. This is about, like you said, this is patient centered and this is about physicians knowing that we have your back, but that's not by, you know, pulling the curtain back on everything that has to happen. Yeah. And then we, you know, we don't want physicians to be afraid of the board. You know, this is, you know, getting back to the the thought earlier about, you know, uh, thought police, ministry of truth, all those other, you know, uh, right. phrases that are thrown around. I mean, we're, we're not going to be uh, monitoring your tweets and, uh, you know, taking action against you if you, you know, like something that uh, we didn't find funny or whatever. Uh, you know, we don't want people to feel that, you know, we're the police force, but, you know, we, we, we have a, a credential that's trusted by, you know, a lot of folks, including physicians. I mean, you know, the pride that one feels when they get uh, that passing letter, even though they, you know, thought that they were, you know, doing this for a while and they knew their stuff and they didn't need the reaffirmation. It's there. I felt it, you know. Uh, 100%. Yeah, six years ago. 100%. When I, yeah, when I passed my uh, research exam. So so all that stuff's very a, important. So we don't want to. Very important. I don't mean to yeah. interrupt you. I want to underscore that. It's a yeah. big deal. It yeah. feels good. It takes a lot of work. It's a small club. There are not that many of us, right? Yeah. It feels like a big number when you see the total, but when you think about it at large, we're, we've earned right. We've earned this space, and knowing that that space then has some some guidelines that it will enforce makes it that much sweeter. Oh, sure, and and uh, you know it, it's um, it, it's it's not a an entitlement. You have to earn it. And you, you have to maintain it, um, you know, and, you know, also the board uh, has, I think, I hope, has developed some goodwill among the physician community over the last few years with some of the changes we've made. And, you know, we we want to we, we want to not lose that by doing something that's seen as draconian and unfair and capricious, which uh, this is not. I mean, this is a process, again, that's existed for for years. We've used it in other applications and here at you know, maybe in, in use for misinformation, but it's got to be credible and uh, and fair to all involved. So this is a great jumping off point. And I think that we're going to see an interesting trajectory over the months and years to come of how our profession continues to address this problem, because it's not going to magically go away. Right. And we will continue to need to work collectively and individually to drive towards progress, acknowledging that when we do, we are impacting outcomes. We are impacting individuals and communities. And that's really important. That's our calling uh, for me as a physician and as a patriot. Like that's what I, that's what we want. So for people who, who want to follow the work, where can they come and learn more about ABIM, learn more about these pathways, learn more about this sort of community interactions, where on social media do you like to direct people where on the internet? Well, I mean, you know, ABIM has a website, abim.org, that actually has a lot of information on the policies. You know, people, uh, you know, the perspective didn't get into great detail about it. But if you want to read it, you know, line by line, letter by letter, uh, it, it's there. And 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 certainly, uh, you know, we're on various social media platforms. And, uh, you know, if somebody wants to shoot us any feedback, you know, it's not 
about an individual physician, but, uh, you know, just in general in terms of, you know, how we're doing and uh, what they'd like us to be doing, you know, we're always welcome to that as well. You know, we publish a, uh, a, a blog, ABIM, or blog.abim.org, I believe is the uh, URL, where, where we'll sometimes, you know, post some updates on uh, some of the activities we have going on, not, not just in uh, misinformation, uh, where I had published a couple of things several months ago, but even in the work we're doing with DEI and how we're uh, changing the assessments uh, in response to what the community has been asking for. So there, there are different channels. I mean, it's a different uh, look for the board. I mean, the board, I think, historically was viewed as a, as a bunch of uh, you know old men in powdered wigs and robes in a room somewhere in <laughs> Philadelphia. And uh, I mean, I probably could use the powdered yeah. wig, uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a whole different scene now just in terms of the uh, uh, diversity of the governance, the, uh, the attitude and culture that uh, you know, we really, uh, you know, do want to do what's best for the diplomates, but to have them help define what is best for them as opposed to being paternalistic and saying, you know, this is good for you, uh, so just do it. Uh, so, uh, and communication, uh, engagement with the community is a big piece of that. Well, this has been a treat. This is communicating with your community. This is this is connecting with the constituency and explaining where we are in a really controversial and challenging topic and how we're going to move forward. I really appreciate you coming on. This was fantastic. I thank you for the opportunity to tell the story. I mean, it's an important one and hopefully people uh, stay engaged and uh, help us out because, uh, you know, we can't do it alone. That's right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. My thanks once again to Yule for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. As I mentioned at the top, there's links in the show notes to the New England Journal of Medicine article as well as the American Board of Internal Medicine website. So you can check those out. Thank you also to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship Programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. And thanks to you so much for listening. Please do check out the Archive of Explore the Space podcast, www.explorethespaceshow.com. Hit me up on social media at ETS Show on Twitter, at Explore the Space Show on Instagram. And of course, you can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Always love to hear from people who are listening to the show and enjoying the show. Always appreciate your support. Thank you for sharing the show with your friends and your colleagues and sharing it on social media as well. More great content to come. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.